Thank you for checking out this sermon video here at Hope Church. We are so excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. If you're joining us for the first time, I wanna be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Do us a favor and text NEW TO HOPE to 94090. After you hit send, you'll get an immediate response from our team with a link to a very short form for you to fill out so that we can just get to know you better. The message you're about to watch is part of our current sermon series, Proverbs, Everlasting Wisdom for Everyday Life. Once again, thank you for joining us. Enjoy the sermon. I want to start with a question today. If you could ask for anything, anything in the world, what would it be? Now, don't answer. Don't answer. But think for just a second. Like, what would that be? What is it? And maybe this is what I should start with and how I should preface this. What is it that you believe would give you the most joy, the most purpose, the most peace, the most contentment that you could ever have in your life? What would that be? What would you ask for? Well, here's an article that I found online entitled, The Top 10 Things People Want in Life But Can't Seem to Get, just to give you a couple of hints. I'm going to start with number 10 and go backwards. Number 10, passion. Number 9, stability. Number 8, confidence. Number 7, fulfillment. Number 6, balance. Number 5, joy. 4, peace. 3, freedom. 2, money. Number 1, happiness. Now, I just want to remind you, whether you're sitting here with us tonight or whether you're watching this online, Googling something probably isn't the best way to find out what the real answer is necessarily. There were actually lots of lists I could have read you tonight, and this is the one that I actually chose. But as we begin tonight, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. One verse, just eight, nine, ten words. But what I thought was unique was in this article, two of the three things that we're going to talk about tonight are actually in this verse, Proverbs 22, 4, that we're going to see and that we're going to learn from God's Word. And they're found right here in this article. I thought that was kind of unique, that two of the three things that are listed here are actually in the 10 list as well. But before we dive into tonight's, today's message, what we're going to study together, uh, we're currently in a series in Proverbs, and we've been uh, encouraging you over the last few weeks to kind of read the proverb of the day that corresponds with what's in the book of Proverbs. And this week, in fact, as we were rolling through those verses, excuse me, those chapters, uh, yesterday's proverb is the proverb that I'm going to talk about in just that one verse. And this verse is actually uh, one of my favorite verses. You say, Tom, why is it one of your favorite verses? Well, that's really simple. And it's because it it itself is simple. It's simple to understand. It answers uh, a question that all humans have. Like, how do I get the thing that I want the most? And that's why I started with that question. Because while all of us may have different things that we ask for, the truth is... 
The three things that are talked about in here, as I read them and as you look over those with your eyeballs, what you're going to find out is, is those are things that you want too. What we want is we want to possess what we want and need materially or that we can feel or touch, the things that we think we need here in this world that are tangible. We want to be respected by people. Nobody likes disrespect. We love honor. But we also want a life that has purpose. Nobody wants to think their life doesn't matter. And as Proverbs 22.4 says here, if, if, if you're there, you can read that with me and I'll give you just a second. Maybe you've got it memorized. I don't know. But here's what it says. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Some versions say, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And so I don't want to get bogged down in, in, in uh, these three things that we're going to talk about as the rewards and and, you know, sometimes Christians don't even like talking about the rewards of what that looks like because we, sometimes we get way too pious and we're, we're, we're very self-righteous and we're afraid that if we say that there are rewards, whether they're here in heaven or here on the earth, that that's wrong. And so I don't want to get bogged down in that, but I do think it's important to at least start by talking about that. But really what I want to talk about is the first four or five words. But let's start with the last four. Since there are so few words, I thought, how am I going to put this together? And make this like a whole sermon. <laughs> but to be honest, it's quite easy. I had to cut a lot out. But look at the last four words. What do we mean by these last words here? Well, the, the, the first word is riches. And when we think about riches, you say, Tom, is it really riches? Like when you studied it, is that actually the word? Here's the word, wealth. Okay. So it could have said wealth, riches, wealth, whatever that is. But it means to possess an abundance of anything. Not simply money either. Even though that's included Anything that's material, any kind of material possession. But also, how about this? Rich in relationships, rich in wisdom, rich in joy, rich in happiness, rich in fulfillment. What we talked about that was in the list. I mean, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it awesome to, be in, to, to not be in a state of constant need? Like to have more than you need of whatever that is. Like, can you really get too much happiness Come on, I can't see your faces necessarily, and I can't see what you're doing there in your living room, but here's what I can say. I know we can't be too joyful. We like to be rich in those things. I, I was sitting in my office a few years ago. It's been, 10, it's been more than 10 years because I've been here 10 years now. But when I served in Florida, uh, one of my friends came into my office one day, and he was looking at, at what I had on my shelf, and I got lots of pictures of my family on my shelf. And he said to me, he said, Tom, you're the richest man I know. And I thought, well, you, had, you hadn't seen my bank account. Because <laughs> you for sure wouldn't be saying that. He said, no, that's not what I mean. He said, look at your family. Man, look how God has blessed you. You are literally the richest man I know. So he said here in Proverbs that, that one of the rewards is riches. The second thing he said was honor. The second thing that Solomon wrote here was that 
By humility and by the fear of the Lord, there's not just riches, but there's also honor. The, uh, uh, another way to say honor is respect, to be respected, to be revered, to be honored. And, and some examples of that are respected by your spouse. Man, all of us love to be respected by the one that we're married to. Maybe it's by your children that you have. Maybe, maybe you're not married. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your friends. It's a really good friend. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's the people who are your neighbors. But nobody doesn't like to be honored, do they? Like if we had to think, what's one of the things I want with life? I want to be, I want to be honored. Not that I deserve honor, but I want to be respected. Man, isn't it life-giving to know that you're respected? So fulfilling. And then the last thing he says is, you'll also have life, that you'll be given life. Another way to say life is purpose, purpose in, in what you do and in who you are. Listen, not simply to exist. Some people believe that they're just existing, like I'm just existing at this moment. No, no, no. We all want to know, does our life really matter? Now, let me just stop here and say, your life does matter. Your life does have purpose, but people don't necessarily believe that. But when we do, man, we're just filled. We want to fulfill life. We want to know that we matter. We know that we want our life to have purpose. And isn't it fulfilling to know that your life matters? I mean, think about it. Riches, honor, life. Man, that's what I want. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want today? what I want. Now, again, it's not my intent to walk through this, and that would be the end of the sermon if I were going to stop here. But the truth is, the first two things is what we should talk about tonight. Like, how do we get there? How do we have that life that all of us dream about and that we all want? And, we're in, we're, and, and since we're in this series about being wise, it has to be here. And this verse answers the question that I ask. If you could have anything you wanted, if your life could be any way that you could write it down, what would that look like? And here's Solomon gave us, like God gave it to Solomon and said, write this down so the people get it. It's by humility and the fear of the Lord, which we don't get as human beings. Now, I know for some of you, you, you may be new to hope and I'm scaring you at this moment. Just, my, just the way that I do what I do. So I just want to say I'm sorry. But I'm pretty excited about this. I want you to be excited with me. Humility and the fear of the Lord. So that's where we're going to end up tonight. Be humble, Solomon said. In other words, have the right view of yourself. You know, when you see somebody who's like cocky or arrogant or, or, or full of pride or whatever, they don't have the right view of themselves and you want to tell them, am I right? Listen, that's us when we look in the mirror. Be humble. Have the right view of me. And then secondly, fear God. In other words, have the right view of God. Don't just have the right view of yourself. Have the right view of him. And I got a feeling if you got the right view of yourself, you got the right view of him. And vice versa. In the original text, to be honest with you, the word and, if you see it there, actually wasn't present. The translators honestly believe that it should be understood, and, and I don't disagree with that. I'm not smarter than they are. 
But even though these two things aren't the same, it does make sense because it, it does take humility, doesn't it, to fear God? And without humility, fearing God is impossible. And so that, that has to be the connection of the two. So let's begin with the big idea. And I'm going to give you a big idea. We're going to put it on the screen. You're going to see it on your TV here. Here's, here's the big idea. A wise way to live is to have a right view of me and a right view of God. A wise, listen, you want to live wisely? See yourself correctly and see him correctly. That's what this verse says. And the people in this room can say amen anytime you want. Amen. amen. And if you're home, you can say it loud. You don't have to. I know it could be awkward, but you can. So let's look today at what it means to have the right view of me and the right view of God when it comes to attaining the rewards, the riches, and the honor, and the life. First, and there's only two points here. First, I got to have, I've already said it, the right view of me. That's what humility is. It's the right view of me. When I see myself correctly, I project an attitude and a posture of humility with everyone and in every situation. Listen, the people you like the most are the most humble people in the world. I promise you. We're not drawn to people who aren't. We are repulsed and repelled from those who aren't humble. In fact, Jesus may be his greatest attribute had we known him. And someday we'll see him face to face. But we can just even read it in the, in, in the pages of scripture that his greatest attribute was humility. Maybe. So when I see myself correctly, that's what it's going to look like. But what do we mean by humility? Well, Andrew Murray, in a book that he wrote called Humility, actually, here's what he said. Humility is simply acknowledging the truth of my position, like, listen, and yielding to God his place. It is simply the sense of entire nothingness, which comes when we see how truly God is all and in which we make way for him to be all. In other words, it's not taking his place. It's putting him in his right place and seeing that and, and acknowledging that. And then conversely, putting myself in the right place too. You see, it's been ingrained in us as Americans. I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for us to have and exude a self-confidence. And some of us have way too much. Our culture teaches us to, listen, if you've ever gone overseas, you'd know that. I remember I was, I'm not supposed to, this is not even in the notes, but I, I, was, in, uh, I was in London. I get on the tube, if you've ever been there. It was quiet as a church mouse in that place until the Americans got on. That's all I'll say. We are cocky. Sometimes we don't know our place, but we've been taught that, and it's not necessarily even bad. But I'm telling you, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, who really am I? And what is it that would give me that most fulfillment? It would be humility. Our culture teaches us to love ourselves and to be proud of self. And the Bible teaches something a little bit different. Now, the Bible doesn't teach us not to dislike, I mean, to dislike ourselves or even to hate ourselves, but it does encourage us to see the flesh for what it is. And you know what the flesh is? Tainted, blind to what's right, not trustworthy, selfish, and even dead to the things of God. You say, Tom, that might be you, but that's not me. That's you too. That's what our flesh is, and that's all it will ever be. 
That in itself should make us humble. The Bible is clear that that's exactly what it is. Humility means seeing the flesh correctly. And what do we mean by correctly? Well, Andrew Murray tells us about that too. In another book that he wrote called Full Life in Christ. If, you, if you've never read Andrew Murray, you need to go find his stuff. He's, he's long gone from this earth. But man, how he wrote. Here's what he said. He said the true Christian, listen to this, denies himself. The old man. This is really good, so stick with it. Okay, it's kind of long, but stick with me. He says, I do not know this old man. I will have nothing to do with him and his interests. And when shame and dishonor come upon him, if you don't know what the next part says, this is going to blow you away. Or when anything happens that is not pleasant to the old nature, he simply says, do as you like with the old Adam. I will take no notice of it. I won't even acknowledge that it's being treated wrong because it's exactly what it deserves. That's what he's saying here. Through the cross of Christ, I am crucified to the world, the flesh, and self. To the friendship and interest of this old man, I am a stranger. I deny him to be my friend. I deny his every claim and wish I do not know him. You see, the truth is we struggle with humility because we struggle with what Andrew Murray expressed here. I'll show you how. Instead of denying our flesh, like he, talk, like he talks about in the, in the previous uh, slide. There we go. Thank you. Sorry, guys. Instead of denying our flesh, we indulge our flesh. See, that's a good place for amen. There you go. Amen. Instead of claiming to not know this old man, we raise him to the seat of power over our lives because we believe we know him well. Instead of having nothing to do with him and his interests, as as Andrew Murray writes here, we continually and constantly feed the flesh, consequently making him bigger and stronger. When shame and dishonor come upon him and when anything happens that is not pleasant to the old nature, we don't say, as Andrew Murray said here, do as you like with the old Adam. I will take notice of it. No, what we say is stop hurting me. Stop hurting this old man. I like him. He's fragile. He's getting his feelings hurt. He's important to me. Instead of understanding my life as being what he talked about here, through the cross of Christ and crucified to the world, the flesh, and self, we revert back to this. I'm alive and well. And make my life go in the direction that I choose for it. Instead of being a stranger, like he talks about here, where there's no friendship and interest to the old man and denying him to even be a friend, we seek friendship, close friendship with our flesh. Instead of denying him to be our friend, as well as every claim he talks about and wish and proclaim, I don't know him, We want to know him. In fact, we want to know him better and deeper and more intimately. Our flesh is dead. It can't produce anything. When Jesus died on the cross, we died with him. It's gone. I'm not dumb. I know I'm still standing here. But our flesh is morbidly dead. 
You say, Tom, how do you know all that's true about us? Because I am one of us. I know me, and everything I just read is who I am, and I know it's who you are. Not because I know you, but because you're like me. You're human. You were created. You're a sinner, and you need God to give new life. Everything that I just described here is the opposite of humility. It's pride. So let me ask you something. Is this how you see your flesh? Do you see your flesh described like Andrew Murray described it? And that's the right way to see it? Or are you convinced that you can listen, listen, listen? That you can clean it up, that you can shine it up, that you can make it better. Listen, that you can even make it decent, presentable. My grandfather, before he gave his life to Christ, one of the things he told me years before he gave his life to Christ, I'd share the gospel with him and I would say, Papa, why don't, why don't you just get saved? Do you know what he said to me? He said, I've done too much. He said, but I. If someday I clean it up, and I said, it's just too dirty. Not because of all the things you've done and things I don't know, but because if there's one speck, you can't get it off. We can't fix it. You think you can clean it up? You think you can make it better? You think that you can make it appear presentable or at least decent? Here's what I'll say to you. You cannot. It's impossible. You can't clean it up. You can't make it better. You can't even make it decent. Major Ian Thomas said this. He said, it was never God's purpose to improve the flesh. It was never God's purpose to educate it or to tame it, let alone Christianize it. It has always been God's purpose that the flesh might be left buried in the tomb And replaced by the resurrection life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see, our flesh is insatiable. You know what insatiable means? It means it's a bottomless pit. It means you can never give it enough. You can throw something in the pit and it just keeps falling. It's a bottomless pit. That's our flesh. It lies to God and then it lies to us. Telling us that we, telling us exactly what we want to hear in our flesh, and then accuses us after it entices us to deny God, ignore his words, leaving us trapped in our own deceit. And and, and check this out. We believe the lie that we tell ourselves. That's almost insane. It is. But when we see ourselves correctly, As God sees us, you know what happens? We submit to him. And that submission takes place only after humility consumes us. In fact, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 6, he said, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We cannot submit to God without being humble before him. So here's the question. Do you have the right view of you? You say, Tom, you haven't made me feel good. Awesome. That's what I was going for. Because when I studied this, I didn't feel good either. Because I know how much I love me sometimes. 
I take care of me. But do we have the right view of him? Is a question that needs to come maybe after do I got the right view of me? Do you see yourself as God sees you? Lost, lifeless without him powerless to change any kind of circumstance, wayward with no chance aside from the one that he is offering us. Do you got the right view of you? Second and last, there's a second view that we need in order to gain that which we are, our heart truly wants, and it's the right view of God. It's fear, the right view of God. And to be honest with you, this one is actually um, one that, that really trips us up as human beings. I mean, I don't expect lost people to fear God at all. But I look at us as Christians, and sometimes we don't either. I don't know how anybody who doesn't know God does fear God, but, but I know how those of us who are Christians could. When I see God correctly, I view God with reverence and respect. Not because I'm fearful of Him. Not because He's a Father that deserves to be feared, like being scared of him, but because I count the cost of the consequences of disobeying him and his word. Did you hear what I said? Amen. Counting the consequences of doing opposite of what he says is best for us. Not because he's, he's, he's got his thumb on us, pushing us down and making us, but because he says, this isn't good for you. When we say fear here, we don't we don't mean scared, and here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to think as in fear, as in I'm scared of something. I want you to think as to be in awe of something or to revere or to submit to something. When we talk about fearing God, we're talking about being in awe of who he is and who his pow- what, what his power is and what he's able to do and just his holiness. Have you ever been around somebody that you were in awe of? You know, I've gone to baseball games all my life, and I've always wanted, you, you know, I'm, I'm 52 now, so it's kind of weird when a 52-year-old's down there talking to guys that are half his age trying to get an autograph. <laughs> Mister! So I do what every man who's 52 does. I send my teenager down there. <laughs> you know, I got some pride. Maybe it's an actor, maybe it's an athlete, maybe it's some, I don't know, somebody that you really revere, somebody you've, (coughs) excuse me, always wanted to meet. Maybe it's a favorite teacher that you had online or somebody that you've you've heard of who was just brilliant. Um, Maybe it's a pastor you've never met, but you've heard on some podcast or you've watched some video online. Maybe it's it's that. I, I remember... Uh, meeting Dr. Adrian Rogers one time, and I, I, there were some things I wanted to say, but I just couldn't, I, I, I couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> and so I stood there for a second, and he said, I'm Adrian. I said, yeah, I know. Honestly, and this, this seems kind of silly, and if he said it, it wouldn't be right, but he's not here, so I can say it. It's the way some of you feel when you see Vance out in the foyer. Maybe. You know, you, oh my gosh, there he is. You, you know what I'm talking about. Like you want the right words, you want to do it, just, you know. 
It's that. It's that you're in awe of somebody. Like, you revere them. And so just a regular conversation isn't good enough. But not fear as in I'm scared of this person or, or, or this person could hurt me or I'm afraid of dying or some fear like that. You see, the term the fear of the Lord actually in the New Testament is, is, is used 15, in the New and the Old Testament is used uh, 25 different times. But 15 of the 25 times it's found in the book of Proverbs. That means that in half of the book, in half of the chapters, it's mentioned. So it must be a huge, huge deal for us to use wisdom in the fear of the Lord. In fact, I'm going to show you some of them right here. I'm going to show you seven of them. The first one is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Here's what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Listen, you want real knowledge? Fear God first, and I'm telling you, he'll give it to you. You can't get to the good stuff without understanding that. That fearing God and knowing that he is sovereign and he has the potential and energy to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and he has the power of life in his very hand, makes us act differently toward him. He is, we are in awe of who he is. He goes on to say, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So there's the opposite side. Proverbs 1, 29 and 30 says this, Because they hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Here's what I want you to hear from this. Fearing God is a choice. It's not just the beginning of knowledge. It's something you choose to do. You say, you know, I don't fear God because I'm not really feeling it. I don't care if we feel it or not. Let's do it. Do it. You brush your teeth, don't you? You feel like doing that every day? Don't answer. It's a choice. What comes natural for the flesh is not to revere God, not to choose him. Proverbs 3, 7, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Listen, fearing God means departing from evil. It means fleeing that which is evil. Listen, put that into practice into your own life and see where that takes you. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the, the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Fearing God means hating evil like he does. Not just fleeing it, but hating it. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs, listen to this one, here you go, prolongs days. He's not talking about making 24 hours into 28. He's talking about giving you life. Fearing him means you live longer. I guess that's the easiest way to say it. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Real life can only be experienced as we fear our God. All other life is kind of a facade. Proverbs 23, 17, be zealous for the fear of the Lord all day. Here's what I want you to hear from that. Fear the Lord. When you fear the Lord, you should be, this fear should be continual and ongoing. It should be something that happens a lot. Not today because you feel good and not, not tomorrow because things didn't go well or because you just kind of forgot, like continually, ongoing. In fact, in Job chapter 28, verse 28, I was just in my God time not long ago. In fact, last week, <clears throat> the Bible actually says this. Listen to this. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. So wait a minute. By humility and the fear of the Lord, I could actually switch that into wisdom. By humility and wisdom is riches and honor and life. Job said, listen, the truth is 
Fearing the Lord is what's wise. None of us would have a problem if God were in the room today of fearing him, would we? We would fear him. And we should fear him. Fearing the Lord happens when great wisdom is exercised. Does God make us fear him? Absolutely not. It's a choice. I've already said that. He wants us to fear him, but he will never, ever mandate that. Not on this side of heaven and not even in, 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 uh, 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 in heaven. But the truth is, on this side of earth, uh, on this side of heaven, earth, it's a choice for us. You say, Tom, why wouldn't a p- person fear God? Well, we, we all know the answer to that. We don't believe we should. Why? We're not even sure he's real. Maybe if you do believe he's real, maybe he's your ticket to eternity and that's it. But it's much more than that. It's deeper than that. Christianity isn't an act of surrender. It's more of an insurance policy for those who think they don't need to fear God. So here's the question. Do you have the right view of God? The the view I just talked about? Do you have that right view? Do you see God for who he is, the creator who is holy, the one who is sovereign, the one who is just, who always judges correctly? He is all we need, and he's the way that we survive, and he's the only way that we thrive, only because of him. Are you in awe of him? Because living wisely means having a correct view, a right view of me, but it also means having a right view of him him when we see ourselves as he sees us and we see him as he is then the rewards of riches and honor and life can be ours and proverbs implores us that it's wise to have these views so the big idea again a wise way to live is to have a right view of me and a right view of god and while this seems simple It'll change your life if you do it. Sadly, though, we believe that we're going to get these rewards in some other way. Effort. Like if I work hard enough, you know. How about deception? You don't have to say we're, we're good at lying to get our way and to work our way to the top. Connectedness. Who we know or who knows us. How about education, of which I love, but education won't do it. Status, thievery, somebody, some people try to steal it. But it's actually simple. None of these ways will ever actually get you to where you want. None of these ways will actually get you the three things that we've talked about. Solomon said, these two things are the way to the things that you really want. Because a wise way to live is to have a right view of me and a right view of God. And that's it. Humility and the fear of the Lord. And there's only one way to attain it. Be a Jesus follower who's humble. And be a Jesus follower who fears God. As we close and as we stop here tonight just talking about this one verse... I want to briefly go back to those three again, riches and honor and life, just to kind of clean that up. As we talked about those three things to begin with, we really focused on this side of heaven, didn't we? We talked about money a little bit and material things. and We talked about being respected by those that we have relationships with. And 
We talked about being fulfilled and believing that our life means something and that we got purpose. But the truth is, it's deeper than that. I think we may sell ourselves short on all that God meant for us to understand about this verse. If this verse only applies to earth. I think he gave us this word to know and live by, not just to know that we can have what he wants us to have here in that. Most of us will never be wealthy materially. Most of us. Most of the world. In fact, the United States is different from every other place. Most people in America are rich compared to the rest of our world. Even the poorest. And that's hard to imagine, but it's just true. Most people who live and have won't ever be rich, but they can be in heaven. Not with material stuff necessarily, because when God was talking about rich, he meant, man, heaven's different. It's a different place. Who will have more riches and wealth? Who will have more riches than the wealth of heaven? Nobody. Who will have more honor than we are with Jesus forever in his kingdom? Nobody. Who will experience more, more than the life only eternity can offer? Nobody. You see, the answer to all three of those questions is no one. Not one person. To gain these, he said it's, it's rather simple. Humble yourself. First of all, by acknowledging that he is who he is. By seeing yourself rightly and by seeing him right as well. Fear him. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Fear him. Fear him. Not because he's scary, but because he's great. Humble yourself because you're not. A wise way to live is to have the right view of me and the right view of God. So how are you living? How are you living? You want to have the life that you really want? There's the answer. Stop being prideful. Stop not acknowledging him. Do just the opposite of those. And I'm telling you, your life will change in a heartbeat. Your bank account may still be little. But your heart will be big. Big. 